Hello and welcome from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. This podcast you're about to hear was recorded at our Kublup campus. So sit back, relax, and enjoy what God has to say to you. It's a little bit morbid, but it reflects something of the truth because a lot of us will have experienced in life that one day we're walking along and everything's good and stable and all is well in our worlds and then bam, something will happen that suddenly changes the trajectory of our lives. And all of a sudden, uh, what we thought was going to be is now longer is not. Sometimes it's, it's people, you know, people we thought that we could depend upon, people thought that we thought we could trust. You know, suddenly they either let us down or they leave and we have no assurance from even those closest to us. One of the quirks of our current age, too, is that we can't, you know, we used to go to the news to see what we could trust, you know, what's the facts? The news will give us what's going on in the world for truth, but even in this day and age, we're not sure about that either. But in the Bible, there is something that we can be assured about, and so we're going to look at that now in our passage for today, which comes from 1 John 5, verses 6 to 15, and it says this, This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. There are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and the three are in agreement. We accept human testimony, but God's testimony is greater, because it is the testimony of God, which he has given about his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God accepts this testimony. Whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because they've not believed the testimony God has given about his Son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know, this is where we get the theme assurance, that you may know truth, as Kirsten pointed out, that you may know that you know that you know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. If it was a little bit difficult to follow along at times, then don't feel bad. That's actually uh, most people's experience, and certainly theologians and commentators uh, widely debate what John's talking about in some of these uh, sentences and the images he uses. But there are three core truths that I think are important for us to lift from what he's trying to say, because he wants us to rest assured, and there are three things that he emphasizes. The first is that Jesus is the Son of God, not just a man. So what that means, uh, he says seven times in just the space of five verses, Jesus is the Son, or the Son of God. And he says that the Spirit, the water, and the blood, God himself as well, and the human testimony, all of these things are testifying to this one truth. Jesus was not just a man from Nazareth, just flesh and blood, just an ordinary person like you and me. He was in one sense, but he was also so much more than that. 
He was the Son of God. We don't know exactly what he meant by water and blood as part of this evidence of uh, suggesting that Jesus is God, but uh, most probably the water represents his baptism event where his ministry was launched, where he did miracles and, and taught with such authority that the crowds were amazed and drawn to him. And he did things that no man had ever done before or has ever done since. This had to be the Son of God. And at this baptism event of Jesus, as you, many of you will know, the Spirit of God becomes evident to everyone around him upon Jesus. And the voice from heaven says, this is my Son, my beloved Son. The son I'm well pleased in. The blood, uh, we think, probably refers to Jesus' death, where he became the suffering saviour that Isaiah and other prophets had uh, foretold for hundreds and hundreds of years. And now Jesus was fulfilling that and not just dying, but being raised again. And the Spirit then came and testified to the truth of who Jesus was as the son, because he came to those who followed him. And only God himself as authority of the Spirit of God to come upon the earth. And the reason he says that the Son of God came by both water and blood, and he emphasizes the blood as well, was because there was a heresy going around the church at the time that Jesus was just a man who was temporarily possessed by God. So they didn't believe that he was born as God, that he came from heaven to earth. They didn't believe that he died as the Son of God that the Spirit of God came just at baptism for the part of his ministry and then at death left. And John is stressing to his church who are starting to freak out, or maybe Jesus isn't who we thought he was. He's saying, no, you can know that you know that you know. Jesus is the Son of God. He is both fully God and fully man in one. And, you know, we need to reemphasize that for ourselves today because this is what people out there find hardest to accept and you probably find hardest to accept because there's an aspect of mystery for it uh, to us in it, but it's so important that we hold on to the truth that Jesus is both God and man because some of the gospel gets lost, the beauty of it, the wonder of it, when we don't understand that it was God himself in Christ walking a mile in my shoes, in our shoes, experiencing humanity upon himself, suffering with us, being weak with us, being tempted in every way like we are, and yet holding true to who he is eternally and for us. Not only that, it's God himself who is on that cross, suffering and dying in our place and taking upon himself the sin of the world. And we miss something of Jesus when we don't fully comprehend that or accept that. You know, and there is a, a, a troubling stream of teaching starting to arise, particularly in some of the popular preachers in America, who I won't name, but there, there is a few, and one just recently actually repented for teaching a gospel that suggested that Jesus was just a man, that he lay aside, there was no divinity in him. And so it's not something that we... Uh, can just assume that we can take for granted. We have to cling hold and fiercely preserve this aspect of who Jesus is. And we see in those second points that it, John's saying it's so important that we understand this about Jesus because it's 
as he is God, that we can know and trust and be assured that he has eternal life within himself. He is God. He has the substance of life everlasting of the person of God in himself. Verses 11 and 12 says, God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. And the Greek word for have or has there is uh, to hold, to possess. It's used to describe someone clothing themselves, putting on a garment. And it's the same idea that we put on Jesus, that we become one with Jesus, uh, indiscernible apart from each other. We're together. And uh, for the more mathematically minded, perhaps we, we can understand it just as Jesus plus uh, Michael or Jesus plus Wayne equals this life with God, this very substance of God in us and through us and for us. And so it's a challenging concept because John is very clearly in black and white saying you either have Jesus or you don't. There's no options. There's no middle ground. And there's serious consequences for those who don't. There is no life, true life, without Jesus. And we don't, something within us often can resist that because we like to have options or we like to have freedom to choose. We don't want something thrust upon us where it's either a yes or no and there's no middle ground. We want to hide in the gray. We don't like black and white. And so many people today reject Jesus because they can't accept that he's the son and they can't accept that there's no other way to God, that it has to be this way. No, I can't accept that. I get to choose. I get the freedom. I control my own destiny. You don't tell me how I find utopia in this world. But the book of John says it only comes, the eternal life that we seek, salvation itself, only comes from life with God. And this life we understand comes in two stages. We experience an aspect of the now life, of what we receive from God now, today, tomorrow, and the next day until we leave this earth. But there's also a not yet. And many people can get hung up because they feel like everything should be now if I am or have Jesus. But there's a now and not yet that the Bible talks about. So Now we receive the Holy Spirit, that life of God directly in human beings. But one day we'll see him face to face. Now we get the forgiveness of sins, but we still struggle and wrestle with sin itself because we're still on this earth. Struggling with sin is not a sign that you don't have Jesus. It's a sign that you need him more and more each and every day. But that's the the now part. There's a not yet to come where we'll be delivered not only from the power of sin, but its consequences, its existence forevermore. Because as eternal life is God himself, his very life, that means in, in this life there's no sin, there's no darkness, there's no evil, there's no pain or suffering in the life of God. There's only peace, joy, uh, purity, all these things that we long for. Now we have physical bodies that age and die, but we also have a resurrection life where we won't ever perish, spoil or fade. There's a story uh, I heard recently of an older woman who was given 
uh, three months to live. She had a terminal illness and so she was getting her affairs in order and one of the things on her to-do list was to speak to her pastor. So she invited him over, she sat him down and she ran through the songs she wanted sung, the scriptures she wanted read out, uh, the outfit she wanted to be buried in and she closed with an unusual request. She said, uh, please can you make sure that I'm buried with a fork in my right hand. Sensing the pastor's confusion, she went on to explain that uh, I've been around church a long time and we've had many potluck dinners and social events where we've been eating dinner together and uh, I always got excited because at the point that the dishes were being cleared away, someone would lean over to me and whisper gently, keep your fork, the best is yet to come. And I knew that that would mean that some delicious chocolate cake or apple pie was on its way and I was going to get this uh, gastronomical delight and so I kept my fork. And what I want people to see as they come and pay their respects and see me lying there in my coffin with my fork in my hand is to wonder, what's with the fork? What is she on about? What's going on here? And then when you, pastor, get up and give your message, I want you to tell this story I've just shared and then say to people, keep your fork. The best is yet to come. Get your fork and keep it. The best is yet to come. And she knew something of what we hopefully all know here today, that we can taste and see that the Lord is good now, but rest assured knowing the best is yet to come. And so when you're on the mountaintop, that's okay, it's going to get better. When you're in the valley, life is going to be okay because you have something abiding within you that will get you through anything because the best is yet to come. Hold on. The King of kings and the Lord of lords is in you, with you, through you, and he's bringing you to a time where you'll be free forevermore. It's a beautiful thing. But I don't know about you, but there, <laughs> there are a lot of times in our lives that things come up that shake our trust in these truths, that cause us to doubt and to question. And I experienced this myself personally uh, very early in my journey of faith. I, I gave my life to the Lord and had this six-month period that I call a honeymoon experience where for six months, I loved Jesus. I knew him intimately. I was uh, doing good. I was, felt his presence wherever I went, knew his joy and his peace in a fresh way that I'd never known before. And life was wonderful, me and God against the world. But after about six months, my passion began to wane. And I began to notice how much more I was struggling with my sin. And how much I didn't really feel his presence anymore. And doubt began to creep in. And if we imagine a little bit like Peter when he gets out of the boat, when Jesus is walking on the water and he says, Peter, come. And Peter takes that step. And you imagine that as he's in the boat and he's stable, there's a moment where he's got to lift his leg over the side of that boat and touch down on the water for the first time and take steps. And at first, he's probably doing okay, but as the wind and the waves and the roar and as his eyes slip from Jesus, the doubts begin to creep in. And we often ourselves can be distracted and have our feet on our, our eyes on our feet 
and begin sin, uh, sorry, not sin, but doubt and uh, confusion begins to seep into our minds. Am I really saved? Do I really have Jesus like John says? I've heard that tremendous testimony from this guy who says he had this amazing ecstatic spiritual experience where he met Jesus face to face and uh, went on higher and higher, but that's not my reality. I haven't had that experience. Does that mean I'm not a Christian? Does that mean I don't have the faith or have Jesus in my life? And so there's uh, just a few things I want to touch on as we draw to a close that I think can help us walk in assurance. And the first, it's really, really important, but often the hardest thing is to, to know and to keep on knowing, I guess, that your assurance is not in yourself, how you're going, what you've felt, what you've experienced. It's in what God objectively has decided to do for you through Jesus. It's an outside of ourself thing that we are saved and have eternal life. You know, if it's dependent on how strongly we feel his presence or uh, whether we've uh, done good that week or um, tripped up here, or then it's not assured because it's based on how well I'm going. And there's, who knows where that line is of, okay, I'm over the line now of uh, saying enough Hail Marys or Our Fathers and now I'm good with God. It's not about that. One commentator puts it this way. She says, uh, reassurance cannot come from within us but must come from the objective truth about God and his gracious mercy that he sent Jesus to the cross. So the assurance we have comes and is because God himself said, I love you enough to come and suffer and die in your place so that there's nothing anymore, no sin, no death, nothing that can separate me from you forever. And so when each of us stand before the Lord on Judgment Day, I hope this is going to be in your heart that you're not going to say to him, oh, look at what I did, Lord. But you're going to say, look at the Son. Look at Jesus. Lord, you promised that it was because of him that I have life with you forever. It's because of him. I, there's nothing else I can say. But you promised that Jesus was enough for me and I'm relying on him. The question is whether you actually believe that or not. If you do, then rest assured. Rest assured. You are saved and you have this everlasting life. The second aspect of how we walk in our assurance is that we believe and we keep on believing. And that's because in verse 13 of our passage, John says, anyone who believes in the name of the Son of God may know that they have eternal life. And that word believe is present and continuous. So it's not a decision you made five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, when you responded to an altar call or uh, made a commitment, uh, prayed the sinner's prayer. It's uh, something that is each and every day walking with Jesus. I think uh, Bev, who's uh, part of our community, posted this morning a quote that said something like, uh, Christianity is not a moral code. It's a walk with Jesus. 
And this is something we enter into each and every day. I believe today. I believe tomorrow. I believe the next day and so on forever. So the Bible uses uh, the image of marriage to try and explain how this works. And with marriage, two people come together at a wedding ceremony. They're choosing as two separate entities, two separate wills, two separate ways, the possibility of two different lives. They choose to come together on their wedding day and say, no, we're going to be one of one heart and mind and body, and we're going to share life together forever till death do us part. But even though they make that declaration, there's, they've got to wake up the next day. And they've got to wake up the day after that, and the day after that, and the day after that. And they've got to reinforce that commitment. I am married. And so what happens is that when someone comes to ask them, are you married? Their answer can only be yes or no. It's never going to be, I'm not sure. And that's how it is with Jesus. That's what John is trying to point out. If you're saying yes to Jesus today, then you're good. (laughs) You're safe. You can know that you have eternal life. But say yes to him tomorrow and the next day and keep recommitting yourself to this life with him. Always maintain this right view of him. Don't denigrate who he is. Don't lessen who he is to you. Rely on him. Seek to please him as you would your spouse. Love your brothers and sisters in Christ because that's what he's called you to. Turn away from things in the world that might cause you to be unfaithful. Remain in this marriage each and every day. Finally, as we uh, read in verses 14 and 15, There's an assurance that we can maintain by confidently approaching God in prayer. And the word that he uses there in the Greek for confidence is this idea of boldly coming towards someone. And the image that, uh, for some reason, I have might share too much of how weird my mind is, but uh, it was this, my son Benji, who's now seven, but uh, it's probably something he did when he was a little bit younger. He would noticed that I was sitting on the couch and he'd come and climb up into my lap and then start playing with my beard, pulling on the hairs and just uh, very bold, a little bit weird, but it became something of an intimate moment because I would just sit there and let him do it and, and soon enough we'd start talking and we'd share each other's day with one another and it was quite a nice moment. But it's this boldness that we can have with coming to our heavenly father because he doesn't turn us away. And he's always listening. He's he's not always giving us what we're asking for. John makes that clear. He gives what he knows in his will is good and right for you and for those around you. In his will, he says yes, but he's always there and he's always listening and he's always saying, come, boldly approach me. I'm ready. I'm listening. I'm with you. I'm for you. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And prayer is just one of those beautiful ways that we're acknowledging, Father, you said that through Jesus, I have access to you. I have an open door policy with you. I can come whenever I want and you come to me every moment of every day. I want to close this morning with a story from uh, about a pastor named John Harper. And John Harper 
led a vibrant Baptist church in London. He was traveling to Chicago to preach for several weeks. He'd been to this church uh, the year before and been, it'd been quite a successful tour. People came to know the Lord. And so he's going back to do another tour. But he, he was a widower and he took his six-year-old daughter, Annie, with him and his sister, Jessie, on board the Titanic. And when the Titanic hit the iceberg, he was able to get his daughter and his sister on a lifeboat. And with his loved ones safely tucked away, he returned to the deck of the Titanic yelling, women, children, and unsaved into the lifeboats. As the ship began to break in two, Harper jumped into the icy dark waters along with many others. He was seen swimming to people in the water, trying to lead them to Jesus before it was too late. He swam up to one particular young man who was clinging to some debris and asked, young man, are you saved? This man replied, no, I'm not. And Harper tried to lead him to Christ, explain the gospel, but the young man refused. Harper took off his life jacket, threw it to the young man saying, here, you need this more than I do. And he swam to other people. A few minutes later, he returned to the young man This time he was successful in leading him to Christ. Remarkably, this young man would go on to be someone who was pulled out of the water and rescued and saved. And uh, four years later, he shared his uh, testimony with everyone at this church and recounted the story of how Harper had done this for him. And then the last he saw of him was Harper swimming away, continuing to encourage people to believe on the name of the Lord Jesus and be saved. Harper himself was not so fortunate. He died in those waters. There's such an encouragement, but also a challenge for us if we are in Harper's place. The encouragement is that we have the same assurance Harper did. He was so sure of who he was in Christ and where he was going that he was able to live sacrificially to give of his life knowing his eternal destination. And so the encouragement for us is that we can have that same assurance. But the challenge is, do we? Do we have that? And are we living the kind of sacrificial lives that represent that assurance? That we can actually lay down our pride, lay down what we want to do, where we want to go in life, because we know that we know that we know that something is more important, that there's a life we've received, a gift we've been given, and something to respond to for the rest of our lives. The challenge comes if you don't know Jesus, or if you're not sure whether you know that you know that you know that you have Jesus, that your destiny is secure. The good news is that if you're sitting here today and you're breathing, then it's never too late. You can know, and you can decide, and you can welcome Jesus into your heart because he's always knocking on the door, always knocking on the door. It's our choice whether we open it and let him come in. Let's pray as we close. Father, firstly, we just want to thank you so much that it's not dependent on me. I don't have to tick boxes before you say, child, you are mine. In fact, the narrative is that you've been saying, child, you are mine since before I was even born. You've known me from the day I was conceived and you will know me till the day I leave this earth. 
that you wanted me, that you chose me. And that because Jesus and what he's done is secure, so am I and so are we. Lord, for those here today who might not know, who might not be assured, would you give them a special touch this morning? Would you seal within their hearts the sure knowledge that it's because of who you are and what you've done that they're saved, that all they need to do is say yes to you each and every day? Come, Holy Spirit, do a work in our hearts. Unite us afresh with you. In Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this podcast brought to you from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. Our prayer is that what was said today inspires you and strengthens you in your faith. If you would like to talk to someone about what you've heard today, you can contact the team during office hours on the number you can find on our website at mounties.org.au. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to having your company again soon. God bless.